This episode of Remnant Radio is brought to you in part by our sponsors at Kairos Classrooms. Have you ever thought about learning a biblical language as a supplemental tool in your biblical studies? Well, Kairos Classrooms offers real classroom environments with with classmates and a live instructor who can help teach you biblical languages, both Greek and Hebrew. You need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. Uh, The price for a single semester is crazy affordable for anyone, so check out the links in the description and use promo code REMNANT to get 10% off Kairos Classrooms. Check out Kairos Classrooms today. Discount code R-E-M-N-A-N-T, REMNANT, to get 10% off your semester. Welcome to the wonderful world of Remnant Radio. In today's program, we're going to talk about five ways that you can grow in the prophetic. It's going to be an exciting program. You guys stay tuned. You are watching The Remnant Radio, a show where we tackle history, theology, and the gifts of the Spirit. My name is Joshua Lewis. I'm the pastor of King's Fellowship in Ada, Oklahoma, together with my friends Michael Miller at Reclamation Church Denver and Michael Roundtree at Bridgeway Church OKC. We set aside time every week to discuss the gifts of the Spirit. Things like, how should we pray for the sick? And and how do we interpret tongues? And should we believe all the prophetic words for the new year? If you're looking for a charismatic podcast with practitioners who are actually doing the stuff, this is the show for you. Hey, everybody. Welcome once again to the wonderful world of Remnant Radio. We've got a great program for you today. Uh, We're going to be discussing five ways you can grow in the prophetic. I want to remind you, Remnant is a crowdfunded program, so if you want to support the channel, there are links in the description to do so. Give a one-time gift on PayPal or a recurring gift on Patreon. As well as five bucks a month, you get access to extra content on Patreon, like what we're doing right after this show. At 5.15, we're jumping on a Zoom call there on Patreon, and we're going to be doing a prophetic training, maybe even some demonstration. It'll be exciting. You might want to jump over there. Lots of fun stuff. Additionally, last but not least, I want to encourage you to check out the Word and Spirit School of Ministry August uh, in August 19th is when registration closes. So you want to make sure to register for that. There's a link in the description. I do believe it has been moved to the top link in the description. So check that out. It is a 13-week course where you learn the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, we instruct you on healing and prophecy and tongues and deliverance and all that stuff. We teach you how those things work. Then we break out into small groups and we ask God to speak to us and lead us and guide us. You also have time with your instructors where you're asking uh, myself, Michael Miller, or Michael Roundtree questions. So it's a it's a fantastic 13-week program, 117 videos, breakout time of live Q&A, and breakout sessions where you're practicing the gifts. If you're looking to have a jump start in the gifts of the Spirit, that's the course we would recommend. Uh, without further ado, I want to introduce to my buddies, partners in crime, the twins, the Michaels. I want to call you the twins. The you, twins. Both named, you both named Michael. Do you think people would believe that you were both twins and that both of your names were Michael? Because, man, that so, would be the worst like, Christmas like ever. From, from the movie <laughs> Twins, I know this is throwback. Which of us would be Arnold Schwarzenegger? And which one would be Danny DeVito? Well, you're definitely Gosh. Arnold. With that jawline, oh. you're definitely Arnold. No question. Okay. Let's dive in to our subject matter because I already feel like it's getting bad. Miller, are you excited about today's program? <laughs> yeah. I was about to say it feels weird to be complimented by Josh online. And oh, that yet never happened. Jawline of all things. Wait a second. <laughs> That's extra weird. That wasn't a compliment. I was saying it requires enough steroids to get a jawline like that. I mean, look at that. You just straight into the cheek. I thought you no, it's not true. Okay. I don't. I don't think that's true. It it could be true. Um. Anyway, today we're talking. This is such a bad intro. Uh. Today we're talking about five ways to grow in the prophetic. Uh. Michael Miller. Uh. You do a lot of this. You do. You do a lot of training, teaching. You travel. You preach and teach in churches. Um. Maybe you could put some 
some minds at ease as people are watching the show. Maybe this is the first time they've ever jumped onto Revenant Radio and they're like, oh, great. Another group of people who are training people in the prophetic. Can you maybe contrast what we're going to talk about today uh, and, and the way that we approach training in the gifts versus the way that some kind of charlatan like ministries might encourage training in the gifts? Uh, yeah, I think. We probably have to give some caveats because so many of the accusations these days are like, oh, you think you're going to train me into having a gift I don't have. Uh, and that's that's not what we're doing. We don't think we can train you into having something God has not given you. We do think, however, that there are things in the scriptures that, that teach us about hearing God and about um, uh, growing in the gifts that God has for us. And so that's really what we're going to dive into is here's what the scriptures have to say about these various things. And then we'll also share some of our experience and anecdotal evidence to show that. So uh, and not that we and e even when we talk about anecdotal experience, we'll say it like that. Like this is just anecdotal. We won't we'll take it with a, a lesser authority than we would the straightforward teaching of the scriptures. So does that's that help? good. Yeah, yeah totally. Roundtree, yeah. I kind of have a good I'd, question for you in the comment section, Roundtree, if you're interested. Uh, there's a question here. Can you define prophecy? Michael Roundtree, would you be interested in maybe giving us the definition of what we would, that's what I affectionately call, I don't know if you're even familiar with this vernacular, big P prophecy or little P prophecy, uh, in its relation to prophecy is often used as a catch-all term, if like Joel and Peter are using it, but when, when Paul is using it, he's talking about a very specific kind of prophecy. Uh, could you maybe uh, lay into a definition as we're talking about growing in the prophetic, what exactly we mean by prophetic? Yeah, well, I think like in our context, we're we're talking about it in the context of hearing God and then sharing it with others. Um, and what what we're sharing with others is our interpretation of what God spoke. We believe God's revelation, like when God speaks, He never errs. But guess who does err? This guy, you, all of us, because we are fallible human beings. And so the interpretation, the application, can be fallible, just as is the case with Scripture. Scripture is a perfect revelation and you who teach the word of god have you ever in your life taught anything that maybe you've even changed your position on have you ever taught anything erroneous not even on the big stuff like the trinity but maybe even on smaller things uh and so like if we can miss you know miss it a little bit in teaching god's perfect revelation which we believe to be clear um and, and what i say is uh, maybe just put these words on it, his clear revelation, you know, why should we be su surprised if sometimes uh, we don't perfectly interpret uh, God's prophetic revelation, but basically hearing God for other people. But when you talk about capital P uh, versus lowercase p, uh, Josh, I'm not 100% sure on what you mean by that. You <laughs> might be, uh, I mean, we could say like, you know, Peter talks about no prophecy of scripture ever, uh, ever came about by the prophet's own interpretation. I meant so Joel in relation to like Joel chapter two, when Peter gets up on the day of Pentecost and he goes, dream your, all your children will prophesy sons and daughters, you know, male and female, old men. He talks about dreams, young men, visions. So he, he contrasts all prophecy as this big umbrella. And then what's taking place in tongue speech, he's like, and this is what's happening before you. So it, it seems as if that the, the kind of uh, prophetic category can be canopied to dreams, visions, um, th those kinds of things. It can be broad, but it also can be in a very specific hearing from God, speaking for God. That's that's all that I meant. And I think I think you right. nailed it. Yeah, prophecy just, it takes different forms. Uh, yes, in Acts 2, you mentioned dreams and visions. And by the way, it talks about your sons and your daughters. So like little kids prophesying. Uh, 
so this was this occurred at Pentecost, and it's what you might call the, the democratization of the gift of prophecy or of prophecy. And I would distinguish between um, like everyone can hear God in the sense that it's been democratized. The we we live in this new age in which the Holy Spirit has uh, is more readily available to believers than was ever true in the old covenant era. And one of the great works of the Holy Spirit is that of revelation. And that's why at Pentecost, when the Spirit is poured out, that you have suddenly, he uses universal language to say, the Spirit has been poured out on all flesh. So I would say like this, I would say every Christian can hear God. Even every Christian can prophesy. That's not the same as saying every Christian has the spiritual gift of prophecy. Uh, that is is proficient in it and uh, and does this all the time. So uh, in the same way that we might say anyone can evangelize, but some will be gifted evangelists. Anyone can give of their finances. In fact, we're all called to, um, but not everyone has the spiritual gift of giving, as it mentions mm -hmm. in Romans chapter 12. So this is true of pretty much all the gifts on any occasion anyone could do it. Um, and, and so we do live in an age that is characterized by, uh, by prophecy. It's characterized by revelation, uh, by having an access to God where in the Old Testament, they had to go to the prophet. They had to go to uh, a priest wearing an ephod. They had to, you know, have somebody cast lots. They had to do these things. But the last instance of casting lots in scriptures in Acts chapter 1 where it's before the spirits poured out, you know, who are we going to have to replace Judas? Let's cast some lots. They decide it's an Old Testament practice. Now the spirit has come, and now there's, uh, and now you, you, when the spirit comes, you've got people dreaming, you've got people having visions, uh, you've got the council in Acts 15 saying it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to decide on this course of action. It it represents a whole shift in God's communication with His people, and so. Uh, when we talk about prophecy, I, I will I will tend to distinguish between like the gift of prophecy, someone who's proficient in it, uh, and just the sheer fact that we live in a new age where access to hearing God's voice is like it never was under the old covenant. Fantastic. Well, I have a question from our audience that will kind of tee us up on our very first point in our steps, our five steps of growing in the gifts. Uh, this is by Dallas. I thought the gifts were given from above not taught by men. I think Dallas is probably quoting 1 Corinthians 12, 11. All these, talking about all the gifts, he lists a bunch of different gifts in 1 Corinthians 12. Then he concludes by saying, all these are empowered by one in the same spirit who appoints to each one individually as he wills. Miller, how would you respond, my friend? And, and maybe tee us into our first point there. Well, I, I thought I just answered that question at the very beginning with my first comment that I'm not going to be able to teach you into having a gift that you don't have because God is the one who sovereignly decides to give those gifts. However, I can teach you what the scriptures have to t have to say about prophecy and hearing God, uh, who gets to do it, uh, how people grow in those things, uh, and the way that God speaks in general. Because one thing I would also say is I do believe everybody can hear from God that he's made it possible for all of those of us who believe in him to be able to hear him. It says, my sheep know my voice. One of the predominant ways we get to hear God is when we read the scriptures. Um, but that's not the only way that God speaks. Uh, I will say it is the only authoritative way that God speaks. 
Um, and so, uh, well, yeah, I'm sorry. Miller, I think we have to qualify that. I think anytime God truly speaks, it is authoritative. I think just to bring clarity on that, what you're saying is the church universal has concluded the scripts are the clear and authoritative word of God. When it comes to prophecy, we have to discern it. And so Paul will say in first Thessalonians five, test all prophecy. Uh, you don't but, test the scripture that's already been agreed upon. So I, when you say that like prophecy isn't always authoritative, I, th I think what you're meaning is, well, the revelation is actually authority because if God speaks and if he's truly speaking, it is authoritative. Um, but once it is delivered through the mouthpiece of a prophet, that requires a testing that simply reading the scripture does not require. Well, I, let me let me just do it by way of comparison. So when somebody gets a prophetic word, how are they to evaluate that word? By the scriptures. When somebody right. gets a scripture, how do they evaluate that scripture? By the scriptures. So when it comes to how you evaluate something and its level of authority, we're always going to put any prophetic word given uh, up, up with the sort of microscope of the scripture to say, does this fit within what the Bible has to say? Um, so that's that's what I mean when I say authoritative. Yeah. Well, when go ahead, Roundtree. Oh uh, no, go ahead. It's all. Good. I was going to say. Uh, eventually, we'll need to get to our five ways. Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to dive in. I was kind of teeing it up for uh, for Miller to do, but I didn't expect him to go that that route. So um, when when we talk about God giving gifts, that's certainly true. God gives gifts sovereignly, but God also asks us to ask for gifts, right? So that's part of step one. If you want to grow in the prophetic, I tell you ask for the prophetic. Uh, this is very popular in, in Matthew. I'm sorry, Matthew. Yeah, it's a it's Luke 7 through 11 and also seen uh, in, oh, sorry, I think this is Matthew 7 through 11. I've written down the wrong verse. And then it's also repeated in Luke 11. Uh, you'll see it in verse th 13. But that verse where he talks about knock and seek and ask and the door will be open to you. And he says, if you're evil and you know how to give good gifts, how much more will your father, this is Luke or Matthew 7, says give the the gifts to his children in Luke 11:13 the exact same story the exact same knock seek pray find he says give good gifts who asks so what that tells us is one the gifts of the spirit or the gifts that are mentioned in Matthew is the supernatural gifts of the spirit not some kind of neutral gift uh, because the parallel passage is talking about the works of the spirit so yes god gives us gifts sovereignly but how does god give us gifts in the bible uh, it looks like there may be impartation through the laying on of hands. It looks like seeking and asking God, praying for spiritual gifts is one of the ways that God gives spiritual gifts. If you have a desire in your heart, the, the scriptures tell us to earnestly desire spiritual gifts over and over in 1 Corinthians. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14.1, uh, earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you prophesy. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14, I think it's verse 29, uh, tells us uh, that we are to not forbid speaking in tongues, but to, to pursue the greater gifts, in particular prophecy. Uh, and 1, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 tells us to but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and, and, and there's still a more excellent way. So over and over, we're told, one, to desire, to pursue, but then we're also told to knock and seek and ask. So if you want to grow in the prophetic, um, but you're not asking God to give you the gift of prophecy, I would say that's the first step in moving in that is asking God to speak to you. You guys have anything you'd want to add to that? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So to totally, we believe God is sovereign in the distribution of gifts, but that doesn't, that doesn't mean that we have no role whatsoever 
or else all the commandments that Josh just read, such as eagerly desire spiritual gifts, make no sense. How do you eagerly desire something that you're literally constrained to a straitjacket to sit and wait and just maybe God will give it to you someday? And so there's, uh, so even if I like passionately pursue a gift and God gives it, he's still the one sovereignly distributing it. He's just sovereignly distributing it. as I'm seeking the gift. And, and the scripture will talk about other ways. You know, Romans chapter one talks about, Josh, you mentioned uh, spiritual gift by impartation. First uh, John, or sorry, first Timothy 4.14, do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Interesting. It sounds like what he's talking about is elders are praying over, laying hands upon Timothy, and somebody says, you know, speaks forth a prophecy, maybe about a spiritual gift God wants to give, and then somebody prays for that in impartation, because he says it's given you by prophecy when the elders lay their hands. So both the prophecy and the laying on the hands seem to play a role. How does that marry with 1 Corinthians 12, 11, where God's sovereign? It all goes together. They, they're all part of it. God's always the sovereign giver. It's impossible for me to have a spiritual gift that God didn't sovereignly choose to give me. And yet he does give us permission. In fact, commands us to seek after and then gives us examples of ways that people do in fact pursue it. And uh, guys, I don't know about you, you guys, but um, I've definitely on a number of occasions sought others to pray over me, a prayer of impartation that I might receive their spiritual gifting, specifically in this case, prophecy, definitely had that a number of times. So uh, I I don't think we have to choose one or the other. The scripture affirms them all. Uh, Another verse I could throw out there, Jeremiah 33, 3, call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. So he's inviting Jeremiah to uh, to call out to him, to pray to him, to seek him, and then God will communicate things in response. So, uh, yeah, I think you have not because you ask not. And so uh, you guys who are listening to this podcast, if you really want to grow in prophecy, have you asked for it? Have you sought it? And have you asked and kept on kept on asking and sought and kept on seeking? Uh, the, the people who do that so, are usually the ones who see it. Something we, we don't have in our notes that I probably wish I'd had put in there, but when it comes to growing and hearing God, um, so I would define prophecy as hearing God on behalf of one another. Um, but the process for all of this always starts with hearing God, which means having an actual relationship with him. Uh, and so one of the verses of scripture I would throw in here, um, is John 15, 15, um, no longer do I call you a slave for a slave doesn't know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For everything I hear from my Father, I make known to you. And so developing a friendship with God is probably the beginning of all of this when it comes to to, uh, speaking on his behalf. I mean, who are the people that you trust your secrets with, your closest friends? All of the prophets of the Old Testament were called the friends of God. And Abraham in particular was called the friend of God using the definite article. Um, And when you look at Abraham's life, you find him in a situation where God is sort of deliberating with a couple of angels on whether or not he should hide from Abraham something he's about to do. And he ends up telling Abraham everything that's about to happen with Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, But why, why would God deliberate whether he should hide something from Abraham? Well, Abraham was the friend of God. Who do you have the hardest time keeping your secrets from? Your closest friends. And I, and I don't think that that is just uh, purely um, 
not anachronistic. Uh, I don't think it's purely anthropomorphic. I think God is genuinely friends with Abraham and is genuinely wanting to share with Abraham and consult with Abraham everything he's going to do. And I think he does that with all the prophets. But, uh, mm-hmm. but it does start with relationship. So asking yeah. God for that relationship. So I'd like to know yeah. you and I'd like you to know me and, and be known by you. Totally. Um, yeah, there's a verse in Psalm 25 that says something like the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him and he shares his secrets with them, I think is what the verse says. Y'all can check me on that. Uh, another one I think of is Amos 3, 7, for the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. Okay. And so it's just the same thing that you're saying, Miller, that it really comes to, down to a friendship. And I'll just say that like, when, when I went from believing that the gifts of the Spirit were not for today to believing that they are, I thought that the biggest difference was going to be, I see all the miracles and I see all the stuff. And I, I mean, that is a difference. I do see that stuff. Um, but it wasn't the biggest. I would say the biggest difference was actually in my friendship with God. Uh, because when you actually open yourself up to... God can speak to you in ways never in contradiction to the Bible, but in ways that are not just the Bible. Suddenly you you have like an ongoing kind of communication with the Lord, like Ephesians 6, pray in the spirit at all times. That is pray in accordance with the spirit's desires. How do I know those desires? I have to hear them. So prayer becomes this conversation or, you know, Philip in Acts chapter 8 and the spirit says, you know, first an angel says, go, go over there. And then a spirit says, go over there and talk to that guy. And, uh, and so, we, I mean, not that we're going to have daily angelic visitations, <laughs> uh, not suggesting that by any stretch, but, but what you see is this dynamic of hearing God that's just so far beyond the old covenant. And I, and I think that uh, that's really, that was experientially the biggest difference for me, hearing God more regularly and intimately revolutionized my prayer life and just yeah. intimacy with God. And I, I'll, I'll throw, sorry, go ahead. Chuck. Oh, oh I was just going to say, I, as you were talking, <laughs> it reminded me of, uh, of Mark 12. And I sent this to, to Roundtree earlier in the week, both Matthew and Mark, uh, retell an account of Jesus hanging out with the, um, Oh, the Sadducees, right? Uh, they didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in angelic powers. They're pretty skeptical about the, the, the life after, um, after death, um, and Jesus is responding to them because they were like, "Hey, trying to stump them with this this question of like, who is this person going to be married to in the resurrection?" Jesus, uh, his 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 brother or this brother or that brother, like he's going to she she marries seven times. Who, who's she married to in the resurrection? And uh, Jesus's response to them uh, in in Mark twelve and also in Matthew is, "You do not understand because you know not the scriptures nor the power of God." And I think, though, like when we're, when we're talking about this subject, that the idea of understanding God, understanding his word, intimacy and friendship, when it connects to pursuing God, pursuing his power, there's something about having the power of God, having that intimacy with God, having that relationship with God that causes everything else in our relationship to blossom. You know, Roundtree mentioned his prayer life, but man, as I read this, it seems like even the scriptures themselves come alive in a way gives them understanding. So I, I would encourage as you're pursuing a relationship with God, as you're asking for him to speak to you, um, that that's going to be a natural byproduct that, that everything in your life is going to have a level of fruitfulness to it that it didn't have before, because it's like that Edenic garden, like you're getting back to your purpose to fellowship with God, which is what we're ultimately going to be doing for all eternity. So when prophecy ceases, that's the thing that's going to matter. Let me, I'll, I'll give you a little anecdotal story that sort of, uh, 
complements what Michael just said earlier about uh, God speaking to you about things that aren't necessarily in the Bible, but they're not against the Bible either. Um, in relationship with God, I've asked him to speak to me. I've asked him to speak to me out of the blue. Like just like even when I'm not necessarily asking him to speak to me, but speak to me out of the blue and have a real relationship where God, you can call me up any time of the day. Like you, you have a key to my front door, like that kind of relationship. And I wake up one morning and I'm living in Dallas, Texas at the time. And we had gone through a bit of a drought where it hadn't rained in like, I don't know how many days. And you know how brutally hot Texas can be at times. And, um, I wake up and I'm getting ready to, I just showered, about to get dressed to go uh, out to run some errands. And as I'm uh, picking out my clothes, I hear the Lord say, put on jeans. And it wasn't like a big audible voice, nothing booming, just a thought that sort of invades my head out of nowhere. And I, I literally think, Lord, why would I put on jeans? It's going to be miserably hot. Now, something, you know, some of you know this about me. I don't like wearing shorts in general. Uh, I don't like hot weather in general. I like living in Colorado where we get a nice full, full four seasons and, and cold is part of it. Um, and so when I'm asking, like, why would I do this? It's like hot. It hasn't rained forever. It's going to be like 100 degrees. It's the middle of Texas summer. Uh, I hear him say, put on jeans, Michael. It's going to rain today. And I'm thinking, okay. Now, there's nothing in the forecast about the rain. Um, and so I just do what the Lord says. And then sure enough, the day was cooler than it had been. And the, the streak of no or the streak of drought ended that day and it rained. And so one's got to wonder, why would that, why would God do that? That seems so insignificant. And I would say it's exactly what I've prayed for, that I would have a real relationship with him, that we would be friends. And those kind of things are things you can expect. And I think those are just little ways that God compliments um, uh, our walk with him that are outside of just ministering for some grand purpose. It's to be known and to know him. So what you're saying is, if we ever see you in a ridiculous outfit, it's probably because God told you to. Uh, you know, you got some guys in the Old Testament <laughs> and New Testament, like Jeremy or Jeremiah, not Jeremiah. You know, like Jeremiah is one of them, but John the Baptist, he wore some strange things. Yeah. Start chewing on locusts. Okay, we should move on to number two. Okay, number sure. one, we'll, we'll hyphenate it. One and a half. Ask God for gifts. Be God's friend. Those are really important. Uh, another one I would say is process everything you're hearing then discern if it's from God. Um, I put this articulation in this way on on purpose because I had Elijah, uh, our buddy who does the course with us, Elijah Stevens came to my church. Uh, I had him speak on the prophetic and he gave us this point that was personally, and I shared this with Michael and Michael, and they're like, yeah, I do that all the time. Way to catch up, Josh. Um, but uh, it, I found it extremely helpful <laughs> Sorry, for me. Sorry, that sounds no, so condescending. Okay. No, 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 it's okay, please. No, you guys, you guys are... Level level seven wizards already. Um, anyway, no. Uh, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> that's a quick job. Um, so uh, my my community and I found it extremely helpful. Is that every time uh, God anything comes into our head, whether it's a picture, whether it be a word, anything, write it down. And, and he kept saying, "Do not use any inhibition. Like just zero inhibition. Write everything down." You could think it's stupid. You could think it's ridiculous. Like, this isn't biblical. This isn't scripture. Write it all down. And then after you get it all on paper, then discern it. Because um, what I was doing is I was I was getting these pictures and images and words and going, ah, that doesn't seem biblical. That doesn't seem helpful. And I was disregarding it. I wasn't letting it go through this process of 
get it all out, figure it like process, ask God, okay, what does that image mean? What does that word mean? Putting things together and then discerning. So the reason I, I worded this this way is I think that sometimes God is speaking to us. If we're asking, if we're knocking, we have a friendship with God and we're asking God to speak to us. Sometimes he's speaking to us and we're kind of using what, what we would call discernment to say, oh, that's not God. But really, it's just our own personal inhibitions shooting down what God is leading us to do. Um, and I think that we have biblical examples of that. Uh, what would you guys say as I, I submitted this to you guys once before? And you're like, oh, yeah, we do that all the time. Did y'all ever struggle with this? Okay, I've got this picture, or this image, I've got this word, but I really doubt that it's God. And how did you wrestle through that distinguishing of like, oh, this is my own personal carnal inhibition versus this is discernment from the Lord? How did, how did you walk that line and figure that out? Oh, yeah, that's a that's a good one. Well, I mean, I think where this like biblically it's, you know, test everything, test prophecy. That's what we have to do. So when you talk about process everything, process everything to see if you're hearing God, I, I just think there are a lot of scriptures that yeah, test everything. Uh, you have Job 33, uh, where it says God does speak now one way, now another, though man may not perceive it. Uh, and you have numbers 12 talking about God speaking in riddles and visions and mysteries and uh and, and then you have first samuel 3 where uh where samuel it's like he hears the audible voice of the lord a few times before he really realizes what's happening and he needs some coaching incidentally there's an example of training for hearing god's voice training for prophecy um with one of the all-time greats in samuel uh or john 12 i'm just rattling things off here i'm starting with scripture before i get to experience john 12 god audibly speaks and it says, but some thought it thundered. And you think like it, the, the father says, uh, you know, Jesus says, glorify your name. And the father says, I have both glorified it. and I will glorify it again. I mean, he's, you know, he's speaking in their language. He, he they're here hearing syllables and words, but the posture of their heart isn't in the right place. And so, um, man, so much of this, and that's why I love the way uh, that, kind of what you said earlier, Miller, what you introduced the concept of friendship and having the right heart. Um, but now back to this like sifting process that you talked about, Josh, uh, I, I cited all those examples to say that I, I at first thought that if it's God speaking, it must be obvious and clear. It must be a thunderous, booming voice from heaven that is absolutely unmistakable. So I go from cessationism, hey, it's only the Bible to like, okay, well, maybe he does speak outside of that. And it was like, okay, only audible voice, perfectly clear. And as I started studying the scripture, I realized that wasn't the case. And I had some people uh, kind of early on advise me, they're like, Michael, you're you're just so cerebral. You're, you're, you're so in your head. And they basically advised me exactly what you shared, Josh, was just kind of like, just kind of take it all in at first and take a take a beat before you suddenly start dismissing. So that's uh, that's just become a practice of mine. That's that's become what I I do. I could tell multiple stories here, but I've talked for a while. Miller, how about you? Um, so I think early on I, I was similar to Roundtree. I and I I was not like gifted in words of knowledge or prophecy. I, I saw a lot of healings real early on when I started believing this stuff was even for today and then didn't see much in the way of prophetic words of knowledge. Got a lot of wrong words to begin with. But um, one of the things I had a hiccup with was here I am praying to hear God. Something would pop into my head and I'd go, oh, well, I'm making something up again. 
because it felt so natural. Like it didn't feel uh, like something took over. Um, and I think, I think that was sort of my expectation that, that when these guys heard God, they just, you know, it was powerful. They knew it. Um, and one of the things that helped me was someone just telling me, hey, look, you're praying and asking God to speak to you, right? And I go, yeah. Then why not assume when something comes into your head that, hey, that might be God? And, and I was like, okay, I'll start giving that a shot. Just assume maybe it's God. But, uh, and then test by doing whatever it is God says or by giving whatever word you felt like God gave you, giving it to somebody and the testing of it being the action that follows whatever you hear. And so I think this is what Jeremiah 32 does, right? He, he hears from the Lord, go and buy this field that's an Anathoth. You have the right of redemption to purchase it. And it says the word of the Lord came to him. But it wasn't until after he went to towards Anathoth and he runs into his cousin and he says, hey, buy the field that's an Anathoth. You have the right of redemption to purchase it. And so then it says these interesting words, then I knew it was the Lord. So how did Jeremiah test that word that came? The word of the Lord came to me saying, well, he tested it by doing what the word said. And then after the fact going, well, then I knew. And, and that's been most often the case with me when I've heard from God, uh, various things. I don't always know for certain that it's him. I just assume, especially if I've been praying and asking him to speak to me about something, I assume that maybe that's him. And let's mm -hmm. test it by acting out or giving the word or uh, interpreting it and giving it, you know, the other various steps that go with that. So, um, yeah, yeah Miller, that happened experience. to you, Miller, when you were at my house a couple of weeks ago. And, uh, oh, so yeah. Miller shows up at my house at like 1am and I, I was, yeah, I just uh, showed up unannounced. It was, yeah, unannounced, uninvited. Colorado. <laughs> I'm like, bro, just give me some heads up. So no, he planned it. And, uh, and so he shows up. And I have, you know, the light on. He finds the room. Anyway, wakes up the next morning. He came in so late that he was still kind of sleeping in when I was leaving. Uh, and I had, uh, I was going to be up at the church at nine. He's like, uh, uh, you know, I say goodbye. He's like, where are you headed? And I was like, well, I'm going to, going, I think, to cast some demons out. And, uh, and he goes, really? And then, you, Miller, you remember this? You, you pause yes. for a second. It's like I could tell. It's like you said a little prayer. And then you go... Ask the person if their dad was a misogynist. I was like, okay. So uh, I went and uh, it wasn't like the first thing I said. And definitely. Uh, we did <laughs> yeah, good luck demon. with that being the first thing. <laughs> yeah. Hi, how hey, are how you? you doing? And... I'm Michael. Was your dad a misogynist? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, but it just, uh, it came up in a very uh, poignant and appropriate moment. And I think was a, a powerful part of the deliverance as we were talking through and, uh, and praying deliverance prayers and seeing some real fruit and blessing from that. But, uh, no. but Miller, you had said the same thing you just said just now, you said then, and that was, you know, when I'm in that kind of that zone, that kind of like, you didn't say this part, like when John says in revelation, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. I just take that to mean like he, he was kind of in that that Holy spirit zone, uh, you know, and I, I think that's what you were in when I was talking to you. Uh, I, I don't know. It's probably just my house does that to you. So like when yes, you get out of the yeah, basement, your house. You're, suddenly in, you're out of the flesh and into the I've spirit. I've always experienced so. a very significant departation. Have you ever heard of departation? <laughs> the opposite of impartation. When I'm in Roundtree's house, just, there's a departation. Hey, let of the me spirit. lose spiritual gifts. Let me yeah, lose spiritual gifts in your house. <laughs> you, got, <laughs> you make me sound more spiritual than I am. It, it wasn't yeah, like I right. stopped and prayed. 
Yeah. No, what happened was you said you were doing this and it just like, it was like something just hit me in the head. You know, I was just like, oh no. Uh, I said, Michael, you're going to want to see if this is the case. But it wasn't like I was stopping and praying. It was just like something just hit me in the head just out of nowhere. And I was like, here you go. You did have like a, you had a pause. I thought you were. I did. No, I wasn't praying. It just popped in out of nowhere. Because here's here's what I want to, I want to ask because I think there is this, I perceive this to be helpful as I've talked to people. Um, I'm asking God to speak to me. Um, I, I kind of what we call it, we say like dial down, like, okay, I'm going to be still, I'm going to ask. And I'm not trying to conjure a picture. I'm not trying to think. I'm not trying to whatever thought comes into my head in that regard. I am, I'm kind of trying to start a blank slate and go, okay, Lord, would you speak to me? And what I would describe as an intrusive thought, like, why do I have a picture of a steamboat, right? Like why, boom, why is something coming into my head? Well, I didn't conjure that thought. That thought came from somewhere. Lord, is that you? Like, and I'm using the word intrusive thought because I'm saying there would have been no reason naturally for that thought to come to my mind. I'm not walking around, sitting around, having, you know, words pop into my head or, you know, pictures popping into my head of any sort. So I find that the phrase intrusive thought is helpful in that, okay, Lord, would you speak to me? I'm not, because earlier you said, you know, you just got to test your thoughts and see if they're God. And someone in the comment section probably is hearing, okay, so every thought I have is God. No, that's not what we're saying. There's context to, we're dialing down, we're asking God to speak. Something comes into our mind and through the practice and repetition of that exercise, when we're off about doing our daily business, such as waking up on Roundtree's couch, uh, then the Lord speaks to you. This kind of intrusive thought kind of comes, boom, what about chauvinism? You're like, wow, that's a weird thought. That's probably not, that's probably not me. Hey, Michael, check with, like, is that a fair estimation of when you say test your thoughts, test those pictures, you're not just saying in every moment, every thought you have is God. You're saying that in those moments, when you dial down, there is like something that comes upon you that's abnormal. Would that be fair to say? Yeah. I would say generally, yes. And Jack used to, when Miller and I used to travel a lot with Jack in the early days, uh, he would say, tune in, you know, make sure you guys tune in here. Mm-hmm. And I would say for people who are more prophetic than me, um, I, I, I've known them to not necessarily have to tune in as much, but sure. I think sometimes people, because I prophesy often from a stage or train for prophecy. I don't know. I think sometimes people assume I'm more prophetic than I am. And they think that like, I have this constant stream from heaven of communication. That's not really the case. Uh, sometimes God will just slam me with something that I was completely not expecting happened a few weeks ago. Uh, that was a massive revelation, but, um, Mm. anyway, occasionally that will happen, but usually I do have to tune in. I would say that's usual. And, uh, but you know, Miller, there's also just sleeping on my couch is really anointed. Yeah. Yeah, that does that does usually it's work. Just, it's just right. you got to be in the spirit on the Lord's day, or just or sleeping on, on Michael Roundtree's couch well, for a departation. Me... Okay, so we've done uh, two of our points here. Ask God to. I want you to process everything, but then discern. You still have to discern words. You can't just say, "Okay, every thought that's coming into my head is God." You've got to test them. You've got to weigh them. You've got to judge them. I encourage you to do that. Uh, this is one that I think is super important, uh, and one that I remember when we were at Woods Edge Roundtree. I don't know if you remember this. We went down and did some ministry in a church and the first day you were like you missed a couple in a row and you're like man i feel pretty bad about that i haven't practiced this i haven't took risks i haven't engaged with this spiritual gift very much and i feel rusty and then we were like at bucky's and you were like asking random strangers like okay like i'm, I'm gonna 
I'm just going to, I'm going to, I'm going to start practicing. <laughs> I'm going to start taking risks. And like you made an active effort to like, after that conference, that first time we went down to Wood's Edge, you were like, I'm going to keep taking. And I don't know if that, there's probably been moments where all of us do this, where we are intentional about engaging a specific spiritual gift, but I've seen your words get way more accurate ever since that day. I mean, I thought that was too long ago. Uh, but do you feel like taking risks is one of those natural things that we have to do over and over to get good at this gift? Uh, yeah, a hundred percent. So Romans, uh, Romans 12, it says that we're to prophesy in accordance with our faith. And so, uh, is it possible to have faith without risk, right? Like when Abraham leaves everything to go into the promised land, was there no risk in that? Uh, no, I think it's inherent. It's like John Wimber used to say, faith is spelled R-I-S-K. Uh, but even within that Romans 12, so prophesy, prophesy in accordance with our faith. I think that it goes both ways. On one side, faith means risk. Like there is a stepping out. You have to actually share the word in order to grow, just like I have to actually shoot a basketball in order to get better at basketball. Um, so I have to actually step out and take a risk. That's what it means to prophesy in accordance with your faith. But there's also, I would say, uh, another side of that. So there's a difference between risk and recklessness. So I, I think that this can go both ways. You, so you got to push yourself, but you don't want to be like, you know, standing up on a state, not that that's even available to most people, but like, you don't want to just be like, man, I've never done this before. Oh, well, I'm just going to take a risk. I felt like your social security number was, I felt like the Lord showed me your social security number and then like rattle something off. Like, uh, no, even the first number is wrong. You know, like, like probably don't start I, there. Like take some, oh, man. Uh, and, and so there's, I think there's such a thing as like almost trying to push yourself too far to like maybe prove yourself or something. And so, I, I don't know. So that that's one thing in terms of biblical interpretation, uh, how I would take that verse. But then I would also say, like practically, um, this Sunday, uh, maybe it was this, a Sunday or two ago. I can't remember. Um, I had a I had a prophetic word for somebody about how the Lord had uh, had rescued their life, like their physical life, uh, and. Uh, my sense was like a recent rescue of their physical life and that uh, it kind of was feeding into like an evangelistic calling on their lives. Now, uh, anyway, I was like, well, Lord, that's kind of, do I say that from the stage? I, I felt like not a total piece to say that. So what I will do oftentimes is say, Lord, if that's really you, give me a confirmation of that. And, uh, and so I just kind of kept praying and, uh, and the Lord gave me, uh, like I was praying and then I kind of just like forgot about it. And then like, bam, a picture kind of hit me, a uh, picture vision, whatever language you want to use. And it was of a time where the Lord physically saved my life. And I thought, ah, okay, that was right. Prophesied it over the guy. He said, you know, man, that was accurate. I talked to two other people afterward who said, man, I'm so glad that you said that because one of them said, I wrote it down. Like I, I wrote it and, and they said, I had the same exact word of that person saved their physical, God saved their physical life. And that fed into an evangelistic calling. And, uh, so two different people came up and conf confirmed as well as of course, most importantly, that person confirmed, but there was some risk. Like I, I could have, that could have been wrong. It could have actually been wrong. And I always tell our prophetic teams, like share prophetic words that can be wrong. Not just like, uh, you know, if we stand up Sunday after Sunday and it's like, here's my prophetic word. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. I'm kind of like, I mean, yeah, that's a 
wonderful Bible verse. Um, but we already knew that. Like, give me something um, revelatory, like revelatory to this situation by the Holy Spirit that He's speaking to this person, and uh, and so that that's kind of how I think through risk, and uh, generally how I'll take risk is I'll often if I if I feel unsure, uh, I'll ask the Lord for a confirmation. But I think you got to take risks to grow. So uh, I'm. I'm obviously all about taking risk and being willing to put your reputation in God's hands completely and, and, and just look awful even in that process. Not, I mean, sleeping on Michael's not, couch was a huge risk. It made you look totally awful. right. Exactly. Head bugs. Have you a. seen his hair? Yeah. Lice, all that kind of stuff. So the other thing that I would say on the other side of it, when it comes to don't be reckless, um, here's something I have seen with people who are beginning to step out in faith and words of knowledge they take so many risks that eventually they get frustrated and they just want to see something happen. They just want to see like, Hey God, you know, use me, do something. And the problem that I've seen in those situations is when they're zealous for gifts, they can be reckless in failing to love and care about the person in front of them. So as an example, anecdotally, I'm in Austin, Texas. We're celebrating a friend's birthday. I've got a guy who's brand new to these things, really wants to grow in these things. And he turns to this girl sitting at the table next to us and he says, is your name this and is your birth date this? Now, here's the crazy thing. That was her name and that was her birth date. And he's just sitting there dumbstruck and she says, how do you know this about me? Did you steal my wallet or something? And he says, uh, I, I don't know. He was so caught off guard that he was right that he actually scared this woman because he had accurate information about her, but he wasn't given that information to tell this person how much God knows them and loves them. He was just trying to see something cool happen and, and be used. Um, and so the, the effect was actually to terrify somebody in the moment rather than bring about the, the result, which is edify, encourage, and comfort. And so again, <laughs> this is another way you can be reckless is it can be so much about seeing a gift and total right. failure to love people, which is what this is supposed to be about. I think that's why you see the love chapter sandwiched between two chapters on gifts. You've got, I'll show you a better way, you know, and then you get that beautiful yeah. wedding sermon out of it. Guys, I think this is a good, good question, or it's really a statement uh, by Ruthie. The prophecy that was given, I mean, <laughs> it's sad, but it's insightful. So when I say good, I mean insightful. Not good that this happened. Uh, she says, the prophecy that was given to me that was wrong was just a, quote, risk for the person, but was devastating for my life. Oh, um, yeah. So how would, you guys, uh, how would you guys respond to that? So we're talking about, you know, let's take risks. Um, that's important. That's good. You can't grow in your gift unless you do that. Um, how do we keep that from happening? What happened to Ruthie? And Ruthie, by the way, I hate that that happened to you, and I'm so sorry to hear that that happened to you. It's good. Uh, sincerely. Well, so I'd say, guys, uh, what would you say? Yeah, give me, give me two. I'll, get, I'll give two points that I think would be helpful. One is wisdom on how to deliver a word, but I think also in the midst of that, like good protocols and etiquettes, but then also on the back end of that, um, I would say uh, the other thing that you need to do is teach on how to receive a prophetic word. Um, so in, in the giving of a prophetic word, um, my friend John came and, and spoke at our church and he was given a, a word that, and he, it was, it was kind of vague and he goes, uh, actually I, I've got a little bit more. Can we talk a little bit after service? And he just waited 
And the word was kind of directional for ministry. And he was afraid that if he gave that word in that public setting, everyone would pressure this individual to go and do that specific ministry. Um, and he had a little bit of wisdom to not coerce this person into activity, but to submit it to them to see if that was something that would edify and encourage and build them up. Is this confirming something that the Lord's already been speaking to you? So I think there's something to be said about wisdom on how to deliver something. Uh, I would say uh, on the other end, the back end, we want to tell people that a prophetic word should um, confirm something that you're already praying about or maybe expose something that you need to be praying about to see if that's something God wants to to put on your life or on your heart. We wouldn't ask you to make any kind of life decisions based off of a single prophetic word. So um, we would want to go on the front end and teach well, there's revelation, there's interpretation, there's application. We want to let you know that the person receiving a word could have a right revelation, but get the wrong interpretation and application. Someone could be getting their own kind of vain imaginations that they're applying to you uh, that needs to be submitted, tested, and weighed. And then on the on the end of it, um, these words can look really good or or, or you know uh, be really exciting, but we should test and weigh prophetic gifts against Scripture. We should t- test them and weigh them against other things that have been confirmed in our life. If God gives me, um, you know, a word through one witness, or maybe I say, won't God, maybe saying God gave me this word through witness is not the right uh, verbiage, but uh, if one person in my local church, you know, affirmed, Josh, you're supposed to move to Papua New Guinea and be a missionary, I'm going to say, well, you know, thank you so much, I'll pray about that. I would need a lot more confirmation from the Lord. One single word would not be enough. I would need dreams. I would need other people to kind of affirm that other people who know knowledge of me or no knowledge of that word to affirm that so that I could test and weigh that thing. Okay, all these strangers are giving me this word. I'm having this dream. I'm having these leadings to go and do this activity. So I think partially one comes from wisdom and training for those who are delivering, delivering prophetic words. And then I'd say on the back end also, when it comes to receiving prophetic words, that kind of prophetic it, how do you receive that word um, and how do you process it and judge it and weigh it against scripture and, and discern it with a community? Those things are also super important. Miller, what would you say? Um, well, somebody in response to your statement, Josh, David Wilkins says, so if someone takes action based on a prophetic word and it shipwrecks their life, it's their fault. Um, David, let me say this. One of the things we we tell our I church, definitely didn't say that. <laughs> no, I know. I know you didn't. Yeah. But but the thing is, there are people that act on things because they don't know any better. Um, and so they're doing in ignorance what they haven't been properly uh, informed on. Um, and I, th- I think there is such a room, there is room for things called just ignorance. We just didn't know any better. But one of the things I always tell my church is never make a decision based on a prophetic word, period. Uh if you get a prophetic word, it should either confirm a leading you already have in your heart or cause you to pray about something you'd never considered, but you never make a decision based solely off a prophetic word. And I think there is a lot of pain that are spared, that spares people, that people are spared from by just giving that simple um, admonition to a church so that those on the receiving end of prophecy, they know that they don't have to make a decision just because some prophet said something to them. Um, now that that's not to say that there are other kind of prophetic words that can hurt people. Um, and the, the, I'd say some of the most difficult prophetic words that I've seen hurt people are those that the prophetic words that come with like words of knowledge. So really true information. And then it's also attached to something directional or something that has to do with a relationship. Um, and that's another area where I would say, uh, when it comes to people, uh, who are on the receiving end or people who give prophetic words, 
just stay away from relational stuff. Like I don't, I tell people in my church, you are not allowed to prophesy about uh, marriages or mates or those kind of things, because so often what's not considered is the fact that those people make their own choices. God may have one intention, but people make their own decisions. And so you can get massively hurt, even if you may be quite obedient to God, but the other person may not be, or maybe it wasn't God at all to begin with. And that's the tough thing about that. There's just a lot more in that. Yeah. And like I said, you know, when it comes to those words, you need to have wisdom on how you deliver those words. If you've just displayed, you know, this really strong word, and then now you're giving another word to someone else to move. And especially if the word is self-serving, right? Like a lot of these people who are giving prophetic words are giving words that are really self-serving and coercive to people. And you need to be real careful and weary about some of those things. So, So I definitely on the front end said the way that we deliver words is really important. The way that we teach people to receive words is really important, which are both on the leadership side, not on the person who is receiving it side. But what if, you know, on Sunday you had a very zealous person in church and you're teaching through the scriptures and you teach, you know, that, uh, you know, the verse on you should sell all that you have and give it to widows and orphans and come and follow me. Uh, and the person hears the teaching of the rich ruling ruler and goes, you know, I'm pretty rich. Let me go sell everything and give it away. And, and their life is completely shipwrecked, you know, because they've tried to obey scripture to the best of their ability. Um, again, like there, you can say there is some personal responsibility and that didn't go entirely on the pastor. I think it can go both ways. I'm not for sure saying that over Ruthie and her situation. I don't know her. Um, you know, I'm horribly grieved that this happened to her. Um, and, and I know people who've had similar kinds of relationships with the prophetic. Uh, a friend of mine was on the mission field, uh, spent two years saving money to go do missions work for, you know, maybe one year saving to do missions for two years you know, slept on my couch and did a lot of missions work. And uh, and then he got on the field and then suddenly a prophetic word told him that everyone should come back to the main campus, you know, um, and or not to come back to the main campus, to come back to um, uh, the States or to be houses of prayer instead of, that was what it was, houses of prayer instead of missions organizations. So the whole reason that he saved and, and, and did fundraising was under the guise that he was going to be able to do missions work. And now all of that had been changed because of a prophetic word. Uh, another situation, the one I was getting confused with, is uh, you know a apostolic leader planted all these churches and then by the word of the Lord shut down all those campuses and told them to all move back and and said hey man if if you didn't come back to our church like we told you to and we cast a demon out of your life we send that demon back in Jesus name if we cast you know, if we healed you we send that sickness back in Jesus name and he's literally cursing people it was crazy charismatic abuse so no uh, definitely definitely not the the people who are victimized because of prophetic words. Um, it's not the it's not the the victim's fault for sure. There are definitely people who wield prophetic words in a way uh, that wound and hurt people. That's not God at all. Uh, we would call that prophet lion, not prophesying. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> hey Josh. Uh, Josh. So I kind of I have an idea. So yeah. our our show on the five ways to grow in the prophetic. We we got through three in an hour. Uh, what if we do number four and then uh, we can say number five, but what if we do number five as a whole show next week? Sure. Yeah, we can do that. Okay. I think mean, that's a fantastic cool. idea. All right. So that way we can just do number. F- uh, so I'll tell you the last two. Number four is going to be fill your heart with God's written word. And number five is going to be get discipled slash live in prophetic community. Uh, so next week we're going to talk about what prophetic discipleship, prophetic community looks like massively important. Uh, in fact, without it, you can't really, I won't say can't, 
uh, you're unlikely to grow very much in the prophetic. So we'll talk some more about that next week. But for starters, we'll just say, fill your heart with God's written word. It almost goes, uh, I was going to say, without saying, uh, because for for us, we're just like, I mean, God's word is always, it reigns supreme. And, uh, and so here are a few verses, Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. How can I expect to have any illumination into anyone's life uh, from God if I'm not already in his word and aligned with him in his word. First Corinthians 14, 37, Paul says, if anyone, uh, if anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I'm writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So you have people prophesying left and right, left and right. And Paul's apostolic command trumps the so-called prophets. We have that apostolic command preserved for us in the scriptures. And so, uh, and so the scriptures reign supreme. Uh, no prophecy can contradict the scripture. But I would say beyond even just providing guardrails so that we don't get off the road of, of what's right and appropriate when it comes to prophecy, I would also add that when you're immersed in the scripture, it gives the Holy Spirit vocabulary, so to speak, to, to speak to you. It's like when you learn God's language, God's words, he has all the more ways of communicating. He'll actually communicate through his word for other people. And, I, and that happens to me all the time. And, uh, and so filling your heart with God's written word, it's, it's both a safeguard, but also I would add that it, it fills you with the vocabulary of God, his thoughts, his ways. Uh, yeah, his thoughts, his way of thinking through things. And, and when you have that, um, it just really assists in prophecy, really facilitates it. Guys, would you add anything to that? I would say only I would say only anecdotally myself. Um, I I found that when I meditate on scripture, I I read the books of the Bible that are written by the prophets in particular. Um, I dream a lot more. And again, just anecdotally, I got no Bible verse for it. I got no hey do this because it's been helpful for me. But uh, when I immerse myself into scripture, God uh, sp speaks to me more. I I feel like it is a um, well. I I know. Theologically, I believe that there is kind of this almost sacramental element to scripture, like there is to communion, like God's presence is attached to the scriptures, is attached to the truth of God's word. It's the power of God into salvation. It's theonostos. It's breathed out by God. It's it's spiritually discerned. And and maybe it's as minimum as using your spiritual muscles of consuming and discerning and reading the scriptures uh, causes those atrophied spiritual muscles to start exercising to the point that you're able to practice other spiritual gifts. I don't know what it is. I've got no great theological Bible verse that I could like nail, but just anecdotally, personally, I find that when God is, when, when, I, when I'm faithful to read my word, for whatever reason, God seems to grace unmerited um, more revelation in that space. So I wouldn't tell anybody, go, Gosh. so it was, it was funny in a Facebook comment, someone said, okay, so you, you should read the infallible word of God so that you get fallible prophecies. I'm like, no, that's not what I said. Um, <laughs> Golly, I say, man. I would say something to the effect of like, no, uh, I think that it's a, it's a happy benefit that by God's grace, he does this, you know, uh, that when, for whatever reason, I feel as if God speaks to me more when I'm faithfully in the Bible. Just I'll, an I'll throw you one. Truth of mine. I'll throw you one comment on this. Um, 
one of the benefits of knowing the scripture is knowing God. Um, I, 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 one of the things I've done, we've been going through Deuteronomy in my church. I'm just finished up Deuteronomy 16 last week. We're getting into Deuteronomy 17 this week. Uh, but one of the things I prayed for was that when the psalmist prays, open thou mine eyes that I may behold wonderful things out of thy law, Psalm 119, 18. You know, their, their psalms are so filled with praise of God's law, specifically the Torah. Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy more than any other book of the Bible. There's something that they found so wonderful and lovely about it, and I don't think they're just blowing smoke. They're being sincere when they talk about how their delight is in the law of God and, and how much they love it, right? How much it gives them wisdom. And, and so I, I wanted to... For me, historically, I would go through like Leviticus and Deuteronomy, and I would just like quickly get through as much as I can to get to the more narrative parts of it because I found some of it so boring. And I realized that that's a deficiency in me, not in the law. That and so I, my prayer was, God, I want to, I want to know what the psalmist valued. Like I want to know, I want to feel the way they felt about Deuteronomy. And so, would you open my eyes to understand it? And as I've been teaching through that book, I have fallen in love with that book. Like it has been absolutely amazing because one of the things that's been revealed in searching through Deuteronomy is just how much God cares uh, for the orphan and the widow, um, the foreigner in the land, like over and over again, it's repeated over and over and over again. And the reason I bring this up is when you, when you see God's character, when you, when you see the kinds of things that God values uh, and your heart goes, I want to value what you value, then that's only going to help when it comes to prophesying. You're going to feel how God feels about others because you now value what he values. And that's the transformative work of the scriptures. And so when you hear him, you're also filtering like, hey, this is probably what this means because I know your heart and, and this is how you care for these people. So it, it's the same way, like, I know my wife, it's easier for me to interpret uh, her actions and her behaviors and her expressions because of my familiarity with her. In the same way, I become more familiar with God, God's ways, God's heart, because of my study of the scripture. Fantastic, guys. We are at that time where we got to wrap the show up because we are jumping over on Patreon to do a Zoom call with the Patreon supporters to say, hey, thanks for supporting. But also, uh, we want to train on spiritual gifts. And if you're interested in doing that, you can jump over there to Patreon. There's a link in the description. Uh, if you haven't been a supporter, you can choose to do so today. Uh, additionally, I want to remind you that the Word and Spirit School of Ministry registration closes August 19th very soon close to come up. You want to register now before classes fill up, jump on there. We've got weekday classes. I believe right now our only weekday class that's available is on Wednesday. So if you want to jump on a Wednesday class, jump on to the link in the description. Very top link is the Word and Spirit School of Ministry. It is a 13-week course teaching you spiritual gifts. Uh, but not only do we just walk you through those gifts. You also have a book, textbook that you walk through, learning, studying. Uh, additionally, we add a live Q&A where you're talking to myself, Michael Miller, uh, uh, Michael Roundtree, Elijah. You're kind of chatting through, asking questions about spiritual gifts. And then we break you out in a small group. You ask God to speak to you. You practice the spiritual gifts to, to pray for the sick, to cast out demons, the whole nine. It's actually a whole lot of fun, very practical, very safe. If you're looking for a way to grow in your knowledge of God's word and the power of his spirit, I would encourage you to check out that course today. Uh, and we will see you next Wednesday to discuss, uh, man, what does it look like to get discipled by people in the prophetic space? Encourage you to go check that out. Uh, and then on, I believe this Monday, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, or do we have Scott McKnight on this Monday since we're going to Anaheim? Is that right, fellas? Yep. Does that sound right? Yep. Yeah. 
So we were talking about Scott McKnight's translation of the New Testament called the Second Testament. It's going to be pretty interesting. You guys stay tuned. I want to thank Kairos Classrooms for sponsoring this episode of Remnant Radio. And if you're out there, you've ever wondered, hey, I wonder if learning a biblical language would be a supplemental tool for me to help me in my biblical studies. Well, you need to check out Kairos Classrooms. They offer Greek and Hebrew classes that can help teach you and train you. It's a live classroom environment with actual students and actual live teachers, and they help teach you the biblical languages of Greek and Hebrew. You need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. There's a link in the description, and you can use the promo code REMNANT to get 10% off. These classes are already crazy affordable, but with the promo code REMNANT, R-E-M-N-A-N-T, you'll get 10% off of Kairos Classroom. So check that out today. And thank you so much for Kairos for sponsoring this episode of Remnant Radio.